today as we remember that, that Christ's death and resurrection redefined death and what it means for those who by faith have departed into the Lord and now rest in His kingdom, I think it's fitting that we also look at a familiar piece of Scripture that redefines how we are to live and what we are to be in Christ while we still are here. Our text today comes from Matthew's Gospel. It's the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, where we see that it has been redefined and changed, this perspective we are to have on life. But it's not just a call for how to be or a declaration on who is blessed. It actually shows us very clearly who Jesus is, as Jesus is the one who blesses us. Jesus is the one who does good for us and for the world. And in the Beatitudes, we hear Jesus with this radical way and word of blessing us, making us saints of his kingdom and inviting us to be blessed and to live our lives in his revolutionary way. For our Lord's words are, are antithetical to conventional wisdom uh, or common sense, especially when we look at the way present culture lives and tells us to be. He redefines every area of life from poverty and one's attitude toward money and things to how we care for those who have less, to our relationships one with another, even to how we view death and mercy. And I love how in Jesus' Beatitudes, he calls us to be peace. Not just be at peace, but to become peace so that peace can spread and that peace can come from being rooted both in the life and heart of God while we live here on earth. Now, as we look at these, maybe one of the problems is that the Beatitudes do seem quite strange when you're on your own and you're reading them. They may even sound a little sappy to contemporary ears or as these small little comforts to get us through those real big problems of life. Another may be that Christians, some like myself, just aren't able to even live close to them. I've read commentators who claim that these rules given by Jesus are to show us an ideal that we could strive to but never could ever really achieve. I don't think so. I mean, I agree with the sentiment of that, but I don't buy the idea that the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount from Jesus, what he had in mind, was to say, you will never be any of these things. The Beatitudes are to be the beating heart of the authentic living and thinking of a disciple in Jesus. Not the beating heart for salvation. That's Jesus alone. But the beating heart of his disciples as we live and move and have our being in him. So that the times when we become enchanted by all the shiny objects around us, when we confuse fame or fortune with the word blessing, he gives us this way of radically reorientating our lives and teaching us who we are really to be, what it really means to have life, how to see life and others around us, how to see his way of blessing, his way of serving, his way of living. These beatitudes show us Jesus. How we have been set apart by God, blessed by God, and given now eyes to see people that we would otherwise overlook. To actually see those who mourn, who long for the kingdom, those who struggle for peace, who are persecuted in the faith. To see the parent that comes with their bag of Cheerios and coloring books, struggling to keep their child quiet, all along, all along waiting and hoping that their spouse is one day going to join them here at church. To the ones today twisting those wedding rings, remembering and thinking of the spouse who has passed and wondering, when is this pain that I feel going to become bearable? To the one who struggles with alcohol, depression, and wonders, do I even belong here? These are the ones, each one of us coming. 
whom God here promises blessing to, who Jesus Christ himself promises to come down to. For Jesus takes that darkness of this world's sin, its death, its consequences, and goes to the cross that he might rise as the light of the world, revealing God's grace. The very first words we hear in that sermon are, blessed are the poor in spirit, and everything changes. So if you brought your Bibles with us today, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, just the first 12 verses. If not, it's on the back of that order of service you got here. And of course, it'll be up to help us guide along. And when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Jesus isn't teaching in the temple. He's out in the world and an ordinary crowd surrounds him. Some are poor. Some come mourning, some are struggling for righteousness, others are even fighting for peace. So too today do we not come as we are to hear these words of Jesus. For that day on that mountain, just like when you enter into this holy place of worship, we are people who have come to be set apart by God, to be set apart for God. So as we get ready to dive in, man, close your eyes. Imagine yourself climbing that mountain today. Bring yourself and all that you have, your baggage, your burdens, your struggles, all of it to sit for a moment at Jesus' feet and to hear, to be a part of this sacred time, so much more than just hearing a story or, or sitting at home watching a show or reading a book. God himself in these words, every time you open them, speaks to you, sees you in your pain, in your struggle, in your desire for more, and he begins to teach you. You know, some translations then that begin to teach them is actually translated as he opens his mouth and begins to teach. And I love that. Now, I get why we leave it out because it's a little redundant if we think about it, but that's not what it's being there. Jesus taught without his mouth. He taught by what he did. Yet here, he actually gives you words to listen to and to let sit in your heart. You may recall that the very last word in the Old Testament is the word curse. And yet here, Jesus' first word is blessed. A blessed that could be translated as happy, but in that truest godly sense of the word. Not in a being comfortable or an entertained happiness, but in a blessed, a secret joy, a secret within itself that is untouchable and serene, contained where all of the changes and courses and chances of life don't matter. What matters is the word of God that comes to us. That you have received God's blessing, his acceptance his divine favor. Truly, when we find God's mercy here, his words for us are meant to overflow in our lives. They aren't just partialed out just a little bit here and there, but they overflow to bring change to you. So as we look at these and I break them down, remember that it's not necessarily just about the meaning. So many times we want to know the meaning behind it, and we get this temporary satisfaction of understanding it. And then it's just able to avoid it, right? Because once we understand it, once the magician reveals how the trick works, <laughs> who cares? But if you can move past the I get it and into the actual call, 
Not try to classify these beatitudes as to-do lists, but let them hold deep and take root in your hearts. Allow the words of Jesus to live in you, to breathe in you, to find movement in you. Then we are there on the mountain. Verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Friends, we don't think and hear this, that we're now insignificant in the grand scheme of things. We don't read that and be like, okay, I should have no value or I should hate myself. That is the opposite of what God tells you. The poor in spirit recognize that they bring no spiritual assets to God, that they are bankrupt, that they are in deep need of mercy and grace that comes from Jesus. The poor in spirit recognize that you cannot earn the kingdom, you cannot buy the kingdom, nor is it given to you on the basis of your race or your merit or your zeal. It is offered to those who offer nothing and merely cry out for mercy from God. For you see, we start not with what we have, but with what we have not. The first contact between God and your soul is one where he gives everything and you bring nothing so that you may learn to fully rely on his power, his mercy, his love. That's why this one's first, because we are dependent on him to receive everything and enter into the kingdom of God. And immediately, immediately Jesus fixes your eyes on the end, on the eternal life, on the kingdom of heaven, giving you perspective, teaching you that the things that you desire most and the things that you need, only he will give you. And what more could we need truly on a day where we remember death than to look at his promises and rejoice in what he has done for us and for those who have gone before us? What a blessing from God to remove the very biggest burden, the burden of where do you stand with God? And he tells you, you stand with me. I, Jesus, am for you. Verse 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. This is the strongest word for mourn in the Greek language. Used for the mourning of the death of someone who is passionately loved. Those who mourn are promised comfort. And learn that God allows this mourning and use it as a path, not a destination, but as a path that is hard but true. Because when we mourn, we learn and experience something special about our God. The closeness of the one who is acquainted with sorrow and grief and the presence of hope that they find in Jesus alone. They are truly comforted because in the deepest saddest moments, God does not turn his face, but embraces you and holds you. Likewise, in this, we're taught that we're not supposed to be just casually sorrow for our sin, but to have the deep grief that God feels over our fallen state. We are to mourn over the sin and its effects on our lives and on our planet. The injustice and poverty and abuse and illness and brokenness and starvation, all of this should drive us to mourning. Was it not God himself, Christ Jesus, who mourned in the garden? Not because he was afraid, but because of the effect of sin and what it cost. 
But look at what he has done through that effect of sin and through his death. He has brought joy and life, the joy and happiness that comes from being freed and being a true child of God. Mourning turned into joy. And the people holding to the promises once again made to us in our baptism. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It's not a, not a word that we really should be like, you know, a person or a mouse who gets pushed around here. The idea of meek here is a proper balance between anger and indifference. About being a powerful personality, but having humility, strength under control, kind of like a, a, a strong stallion trained to do a job, right? Instead of running wild. The meek submit willingly to God's desires, His will, and conform their lives to His word. And when we do that, we are able to suffer the wrong without desiring revenge, to be angry without sinning. And if the first two were about inward feelings, this one is about how we react to others and relate to them. To be humble and gentle, patient, to be long-suffering, not to use force going around and thinking, I deserve this, this is my right, it's mine and I'm going to take it. You are promised the inheritance of the earth <laughs> because you believe and are confident in what God will do, not in what your own strength will do. And because of that belief, become okay with meekness and a life of putting God in the center rather than ourselves. It was Jesus himself who brought his kingdom down, not with force or violence, but through meager means, like bread and wine and water. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Not given a little snack, but a real hunger and thirst here. That's what is desired, a natural, intense, painful, driving force that is within you. That type of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for the ways of God. Not our own ways, but for the dignity of other people, for the rightful role of the family, for the care of this earth, for the rights of people. A desire to love and serve the very poor and vulnerable that are amongst us. When we look and see how far the world is from where it should be, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we see children sleeping in parks with no homes and we open our homes and bring them in by being part of strong families, that is hungering and thirsting for righteousness. When we see the effects of wars and the disease and destruction, all that evil that happens, and we want more, that is the beginning of hungering and thirsting for righteousness, where there is polarity, starvation, obesity, unimaginable wealth and poverty, that's hungering and thirsting because there is so much wrong that we are demanding in Christ Jesus things to be changed and responding to the call that he gives you have a hunger and a desire for it. It was Jesus who pushed away the crowds and said, let the little ones, the unseen, the least of these, the vulnerable, the broken, come to me. It was Jesus who brought dignity to the ashamed, who empowered the women, who took the broken and healing and broken and brought them healing. It was Jesus who took the nothing and brought meaning to each and individual life in this world. 
And don't miss that call in Revelation Sender that never again will they hunger or thirst because in the end, he comes to restore that. But in the meantime, the church, the church should be called blessed because they are out there hungering for it. He keeps going and says, blessed are the merciful. They will be shown mercy. You and I have received mercy. Sins forgiven. And it is a mercy now that we can be emptied of our pride, brought to that poverty of spirit, that poor in spirit, to be brought to our mourning over the spiritual condition and the brokenness of this world. And it's a mercy to receive his grace, to become gentle, to be people who hunger and thirst for the righteous. Therefore, we're expected to show mercy because we have already received it. The merciful one will show it to those who are weaker or poorer than them. The merciful one will look for those weeping and will mourn alongside them. The merciful one will be forgiving to others and will look to restore broken relationships and take the first step. The merciful one will be merciful even when others are not speaking the best of them. The merciful one will not put unspoken expectations or burdens on others. The merciful one will be compassionate even when others sin. The merciful one will fall down on their knees and pray for those in their lives. If you want mercy from others, then be the merciful. Jesus did not cast the stone but rather picked her up and told her her sins were forgiven. Look at the pure in heart. Blessed are they, for they will see God. In the ancient Greek here, this is, this is kind of like two ideas connecting. One is the moral purity. Not just the outside of the pot being clean, but also the inside. The other is one of an undivided heart of being sincere, not having two masters, but following one, being aligned and ready to go to follow Jesus. That, when you are aligning your will with his, you enjoy such an intimacy with God. When we do the things we want to do, when we focus and spend time with him in prayer, in community, in worship, the pieces of sin that would rip us from him lose their power, and our hearts and our minds stay pure. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Not those who live in peace or who seek to detach themselves so that they can rest and be at peace, but those who bring peace, those who overcome evil with good by spreading the word of the gospel, by speaking the peace of Jesus Christ, by working in between two fighting parties, by recognizing when one is offending and injuring and then stepping in and making it right by seeking to bring hope into hopeless situations. To do as Paul said in Philippians, if you've gotten anything out of following Christ Jesus, if Jesus' love has made any difference in your life, if being in a community, a church led by the Spirit means anything to you, if you have a heart, if you care, then do me this favor. Agree with one another. Love each other. Be deep-spirited friends with one another. Stop pushing your way to the front. Don't sweet-talk your way to the top, but put yourself aside and help others get ahead. Stop being so obsessed with what's in it for you and lend 
a hand. Be united in love. And then he closes. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And while usually righteousness is a connection between us and God, like we have been made with Jesus' death, this is a living rightly with your neighbor to whatever the laws are to abide by them, to those New Testament letters that spend so much on telling us how we are to follow Jesus, to live by them, even if it brings persecution, remembering all along that it was your Lord Jesus who showed you first how to submit himself even to the Pharisees, to Pontius Pilate, to death. Because you are blessed when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, all because of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way it was done to those who walked before you. Like the saints and all those in the faith who have walked before you, this is the path, the pursuit, the way of living that we are called to. Whether you're alive or dead, what you receive is the same. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus Christ, is yours. Because you have been united to him. And in your unitedness to him, he opens you to see. To see the humble, to see the poor, to see those who need you. And as the band makes their way up to close us out today, before we come to the Lord's table to be one, right? To take one body, one blood, to have it, to receive it, to hold to it. We are reminded that we do not live to ourselves and we do not die to ourselves. As we live, we live to the Lord. And as we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or whether we die, we belong to those who claim Christ Jesus as Lord. Don't take your eyes off of your Savior, Jesus. Because we are truly nothing but lost without his way, without him and what he has done for us. All Saints Sunday, a chance to look and to remember that each one of us will stand before the Lord Almighty, but to look in hope and in confidence because of what our Lord Jesus has done for us.